The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Welcome to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is RJ Bell. Basketball Dream Preview, post All-Star Break Edition, with my Wise Guy Roundtable. To my right, professional batter, Steve Fezzik. To my left, Brad Powers. I'm RJ Bell. Guys, got a good show for you here. Jam packed. Underrated, overrated, follow the money conspiracy against the committee. Two teams we think one favored, one not. We'll update on that. Plus, a amazing ATS streak. Just one team is able to beat it, supposedly, or apparently, but that team's done it twice during this long, long streak. We got two future Best bets, not best bets, but recommendations, perhaps, I think is fair to say, with two blue bloods, blue bloods, both getting big payoffs. We're going to go to the NBA also, all-star game. How good was it? The idea of handicapping right after the all-star break, tanking, and how to consider that in your handicapping. A little bit about Olympic winter Olympic betting, and then the biggest basketball games coming up the next few days, Kansas, Texas Tech, Louisville, Duke. Plus, three best bets. One of those best bets from Dave Esler, pregame pro. We always have him involved doing the basketball preview on tape. And a lot of good, four different sound clips for Dave. In the colleges, though, we always start with the underrated. We always start with Brad Powers. Brad, your underrated team of the week. West Virginia, a team that currently resides number 21 in the current AP Top 25 poll. In my current power ratings, which I post each and every Friday in the pregame.com forums, I have the Mountaineers number 11. And I think you're getting value on West Virginia on multiple fronts. Let's go back to their last game against Kansas, where West Virginia was a three-point road underdog. So that technically means if you give the normal four points of home court advantage to Kansas on a neutral floor, West Virginia is favored over the number eight team in the country right now, Kansas. So that tells you that they're underrated. Also, that game being very misleading. So real quick, because yeah. we will get in, into the misleadingness or at least the foul count with West Virginia and Kansas. But if West Virginia is a smallish underdog at Kansas, that means they're not underrated, right? It means that compared to the AP, they're underrated. But the Vegas market seems to be pretty caught up, right? And, and our goal is to be talking about teams that you can look to bet on. So if the market is valuing the number 20, what? It, where's no, West Virginia? Number 21. Number 21. And where's Kansas about? Number eight. Yeah. So if, if the market is saying West Virginia is better by a smidge than the number eight team, because typically home field or home court for a team like Kansas is what, four? Yep. So, and they were favored Kansas by three. So that's saying West Virginia is better than the eighth team is what 
the Vegas markets are saying, so you think they're even better than that? That game should have been Pickham or that game should have been West Virginia favored or what we're saying. And, and it's a valid point. It's just we got to make sure we clarify it is West Virginia is much, much better than the AP thinks or maybe the general fans think. But Vegas is actually caught up with them. Yeah, Vegas is caught up not totally with them. And here's why. Let's look at that game, RJ. I, yeah, I think the line shouldn't have been three. It should have been less how that game played out. West Virginia is leading by double digits in the second half, despite the fact when you look at the end game result, Kansas shot three thirty-five free throw attempts to West Virginia's two, and that game came down to the final seconds. So, I mean, therefore, I mean, you're up against. So did the, you did you bet West Virginia in that game? I did not bet West Virginia in that game. So, what kept you off them? Kansas being in a home run spot a lot. Kansas, this Big Ten, twelve title streak of thirteen straight seasons means a lot to this Kansas team and they're at home and you know, Kansas has not had a great season at home, but in a must win situation for them laying, you know, a little bit like three, I just thought nah, I couldn't take West Virginia in that regard. No, that makes sense because you have your power ratings, which is going to start the handicap. And then there's the specifics. We'll be talking Kansas, as we said, Texas tech here in a little bit. Um, but you mentioned this streak. I think it bears explaining it. Clearly is so Kansas uh, every year under coach Bill South has won either outright or shared the big 12 regular season. And this is a tight, tight year for that. And if they win out, then they're guaranteed at least a tie, I guess. But I guess if they went out, they're actually guaranteed it themselves. So they've got a good chance to keep the streak going, but it's by it's no guarantee. Yep. And we've been talking for uh, about 10 days now, I think, on Straight Out of Vegas on Fox National, our show, and also here, we think Kansas's motivation is going to be sky high in these games. Um, so you're saying, hey, maybe if all things were equal, West Virginia plus three at Kansas was a good bet, but because where West Virginia would have been the good bet, but because of the home run spot for Kansas, you stayed away from it. So in your power ratings right now, you've got... West Virginia where? Number 11. And, okay. And where do you have Kansas? I have, I had Kansas at like number 12. Okay. And, and, so this, I didn't, and this week you've got. Well, that was on Friday prior to the game. So okay. I understood a little bit the three point so line. Why wouldn't, so it seems like you would have loved Kansas. If you thought the teams was even, were even or so, right? 11 and 12. And Kansas was in a home run spot. And typical home field is four, home court's four. Well, Kansas has struggled with West Virginia. I mean, they've been Okay, down, so you yeah. thought, the, so another factor was you thought it was a matchup disadvantage for Kansas. Yeah, Kansas has looked good in the end result on games, but each last three games, they have trailed West Virginia by double digits in the second half. So, Fez, what, I mean, if you look at, because this is such a complex topic, is the idea of overrated typically is how good is the team really versus what does the public think? Right, a typical radio show, that's going to be the conversation. We have one level of complexity beyond that, which is, okay, what does the public think? And I think the AP is a pretty good rep representation of that. So what does the public think? What is the truth, as we see it, and the Vegas truth? And then there's what does Vegas think, or at least the Vegas market think? So, Fez, considering those three What's your thoughts on West Virginia? I think the Vegas market agrees with Brad that West Virginia is a very underrated team versus the polls. However, and I want to ask Brad this, 
they call them press Virginia because it's such a unique defense. Maybe the Big 12 gets an advantage because they get to see West Virginia at least once a year. Will they not have an advantage come tournament time facing teams that have not seen that D? Yeah, well, that's that's a good point. I mean, West Virginia has an advantage in the tournament, uh, not necessarily the Big 12 tournament coming up because these teams are going to see them for the second or third time, but definitely for the NCAA tournament. But the, the only caveat would be that, you know, how does the refereeing call a West Virginia game where they haven't seen West Virginia? So if they're calling them tight, that's a disadvantage for the Mountaineers. But if they let them play a little bit, then that's a huge advantage. Okay. So I think, if anything, this was really instructive in the following way. When, when on, right here on the Dream Preview, when we're talking underrated or overrated, it's going to be our goal is to ultimately address the, the Vegas market itself. And but but really, it would seem the Vegas market in this case is is pretty in line with West Virginia, uh, whereas the AP and the general fans, uh, West Virginia is underrated compared to that uh, their perception. That is correct, and the public's going to see a team that's four and seven their last eleven games. West Virginia, yes, four and seven last eleven, but wow, still as good as Kansas. Yes, okay, and. We've talked about the referee. Now, obviously, the the foul call count in that Kansas game got a lot of attention. And uh, it, it would seem it's possible home cooking. But as we talked about on the Fox show, is if you have referees who are inclined to call a lot of fouls against a team that presses, sometimes that number can get out of hand. So, not saying maybe it was a combination of some quick whistles just because that was the propensity of these referees, but also maybe a little bit of the crowd affecting and such. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I also think there's home cooking. Keep in mind, there was a lot of foul shots attempts at the end in the last like minute, but it was still 26 to two when the game was tied with like two minutes left in the game. So there was still a huge disparity. I think there was more home cooking than anything involved in that one. I mean, why was West Virginia? They were they were the ones not you know following to stay in the game. They were up most of the game, so there really was no reason for there to be such a disparity outside of the fact that their pressing style with a quick whistle sometimes can lead to a little bit of disparate results from the uh, free throw attempts. Now, do you think the last question on West Virginia, do you feel like the highly respectful line of being favored by or underdogs of less than four against Kansas, um, meaning less than the home field advantage, thus saying this team that's won only four of 11 is better than Kansas. That's what the line said Saturday. West yep. Virginia was better than Kansas. Is that a sign of West Virginia matching up so well against Kansas? Or do you think in general that's how highly regarded the Vegas market has West Virginia. That's how highly regarded the, the market has. And I'll use another example. Tonight, as we're taping this on a Tuesday night, West Virginia is actually laying one point against Baylor. The market is on. People are betting West Virginia tonight at Baylor. A number six team in the country, Texas Tech, was just at Baylor on Saturday and was getting one point. So they were a one-point underdog. The number six team, West Virginia right now, the number 21 team, is laying a point at Baylor. Great information, great numbers to put that in perspective, just how much respect the Vegas market is showing West Virginia. And we're taping, as we said, Tuesday, late afternoon, right here at the pregame.com offices in Las Vegas. Okay, underrated number two coming from Mr. Esler. For those not familiar with Dave, he's been like seven, eight years, just I think it's fair to say uh, dominant content 
in the forums, in the pregame.com forums. If you haven't been in the forums, guys, hundreds and hundreds of posters, thousands and thousands of readers, all checking out content. If you've got sports content, sports betting content that you think is, is good and compelling, check it out. Check the form one to read it. You get that content for free. And if you've got content to share, well, it's mighty nice that thousands of people would be checking out your work. Pregame.com, just go to the forum, sign up is free, and it's something that is uh, fun to check out and can be helpful to winning. Let's hear from Esler on his underrated team. My most undervalued team this week is uh, the University of Central Florida. There's, Ken Palm's got them sitting at 93, and that would be another one is, you know, I don't think there's 92 teams better than them. And I think what, what happened to them from a batter's mind is back probably about eight games ago, they lost Taco Fall. He's their seven-foot, six-inch uh, Empire State building in the middle. Batters just totally faded them and, and made a little bit of money. But I think they've probably learned to play without him a lot more. They had only three losses without him, and uh, they were Cincinnati, Houston, and Wichita State, which games they probably figured to lose anyway. Coming into today... They've won three straight. Two of them were uh, SMU at home, and, and SMU's fallen off a bit, but they're still a tough out. In uh, Memphis on the road, uh, and Memphis has fallen off, but it's still a road conference game, and, and Memphis isn't that bad. And now they've got this kid, A.J. Davis, who's really been almost unstoppable in the last three games. He's 16-24 to 24 from inside. He's shooting 72% from behind the arc, and he's averaging seven rebounds a game. Uh, and I think they're in a great spot going forward, probably – this week, they've got uh, games at, at Tulsa and Temple, uh, so they're obviously going to be probably discounted being on the road against two, I don't want to say public, but semi-public teams. So for this week, my underrated team is Central Florida. That was Dave Esler. Brad and Fez agree, disagree. I'm indifferent. I do have actually UCF slightly lower than Kempom. I have number 104, but what I did see, and keep in mind, I post my power ratings on Friday prior to their Saturday game against SMU, which was dominant for them. They won the game by double digits, far exceeded the Vegas expectations. Uh, I think they're due for a little bit of an upgrade, but I'm a little bit indifferent at this point. They have adjusted without Taco Fall. Their defense struggled early. Last couple games, it's improved. I agree strongly with Dave. Taco Fall is the goalie. So think about it. When you're playing defense, you got a 7-6 guy in the paint. You defend differently. You get up on a guy because you know if he blows past you, the ball's going to get swatted in the paint. And the best evidence I can give of that, Central Florida totals were flying over. The first four games without Taco went over like by 15 points each. And now we just saw a game go under for Central Florida. That's telling me this team is learning how to play defense without him. So guys, it seems like there's a couple of scenarios which would make a Ken Palm rating less than ideal uh, or, or maybe not representative is the right way to say it. And one of them is changes in lineup. You know, injuries, we understand, right? Is a team played a certain amount of, or a team played a certain amount of games with this player. Now he's not there. That's an obvious adjustment, right? Sometimes it's the market adjusts too much. Sometimes not enough, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes it's like, okay, this guy is not starting anymore by choice, and this other guy is, and this other guy is just so much better. Do we consider that to be one of the real opportunities? Now, and we're going to be talking about Nebraska and their amazing ATS streak. And as you were talking about, they made a change, what, nine, ten games ago. And why don't we just quickly just throw that Nebraska talk in now? And so 
explain your perspective on Nebraska and a lineup change they made. Yeah, so nine or ten games, they juggled their starting lineup nine or ten games ago, and they inserted two new starters that hadn't been starting before, and that has been a much better chemistry for the team, having that better starting lineup. But the betting markets have been evaluating Nebraska based upon their season-long results, and they don't realize how much better they've gotten with the same guys. And I think we're at a stage with algorithms and computers where people kind of, most people realize, especially if you're analytical, the type that wants to approach betting from an analytical perspective. I think a lot of people realize amongst that universe of people that, yeah, computers are pretty darn smart, right? As smart, we could debate that, right? Artificial intelligence versus brute force. But if you program a computer correctly, it's going to do the calculations. Now, the question has been for a long time, how do you program it? And I think one thing to keep in mind is especially with sports, football I think is especially the case because there's 16 regular season games or less than that in college, that there's not enough games to really feel like there's enough stats to be so sure using algorithms, computers for football. Basketball, 30-plus games. There's more, but obviously a lot less than baseball, 162. I think the 162 is one of the reasons uh, sabermetrics started with baseball. I think another reason is there's so much isolation. It's pitcher versus hitter, whereas the the challenge with sabermetrics with the NBA, for example, has been the interplay of people. Right? It's not just how good you are on the court, but how good you are with this player, where with another player you're not near as good. So there's extra complexities. But whatever the algorithm is, it's going to be better if the premises of the games in which the data is being used stayed the same. Meaning in a perfect universe of, okay, the lineup hasn't changed at all. And it's, 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 there's been no change to the, where they're playing the venues as in the home field stays the same. They play the same, you know, teams on the road. They do every year. Like the more uniformity you have with the numbers, the better the numbers are to predict the future. So it would seem with Ken Palm specifically, since it, it, it so affects the market. And would you guys agree that is there any one factor as big as Ken Palm when it comes to the college basketball betting market? No, none. And I think he pretty much universally sets the totals, RJ. Everyone uses the Ken Palm numbers. So you're saying with totals, his influence is even bigger? Huge. Okay. So it seems like a way to find wrong numbers within Ken Palm is which teams are just fundamentally different today than they were a majority of the season. And then look and say, hey, did Ken Palm, does Ken Palm's algorithm account for this change? Some it may, some it may not. The ones that it doesn't, it would seem there's some opportunity for Ken Palm's numbers to be off. Absolutely. And what Ken Palm doesn't encompass sometimes are matchups. Maybe a team is just a specific bad matchup for that. I mean, you're going to have that power ratings difference for what these two teams are not only for the season, but even the last five or six games, but that specific matchup, say a team like you know Syracuse zone is a specifically bad matchup for a, a certain team. That's not going to be accounted for in a computer rating like Kempom. No, and, and, and again, I think computer ratings are like power ratings. It's going to, if, if it's a good, and in fact, that's what a computer rating is, right? If it's a good rating, it's going to tell you how good the team is. 
and then matching the, that team up against the opponent and how good that team is, the starting point is how good they are. Then it's scheduling, you know, and other situational factors. Then it's matchup factors. I think in general, the three factors in a handicap, and let's just stop a minute and don't just agree to agree here. Let's see if we agree, all three of us, the three main factors of a handicap is how good are the team or the teams, how what is the pros and cons of each team's situation with scheduling being a big part? Are they off back to back in the NBA? Blah, blah, blah. Um, I guess one A, we just talked about one and two. One B would be is today's team representative of its ranking? As in what we talked about, has there been a fundamental change? That's the ranking is bad because this player's out. You know, obviously 14 games with the Patriots. But then Tom Brady's out on game 15. Um, you know, obviously that's going to be accounted for, but many versions of that are not accounted for when it's the third or fourth best player on a college basketball team that might be out. And maybe people aren't properly accounting for it. So how good is the team today is one. And the today's the caveat from the Ken Palm. Number two is what's the situation for each team. And, schedule being one of the big ones. And then I think the third one is how do these teams match up? We kind of mentioned West Virginia against the press. Some teams are going to be better. Some teams are going to be worse. It seems like those are the three big buckets. Agree, disagree. No disagreement for me. I, I know you expected more. There, there really isn't. It's a strong agreement. Yeah. I, and this really is true in all sports, RJ. You start out with the power ratings, how far apart are the two teams, and then the intangibles, and then the matchups. Okay, so West Virginia... From Brad, and we identified more so with the public's opinion, West Virginia markets caught up with them. Central Florida from Dave Esler. Faz, your underrated college team of the week. Penn State, underrated. This team is on a 7-1 and one against the spread run. RJ, they're almost 8-0. They missed by half a point in one of their wins. So before those eight games, they played four lousy games where they went 1-3 and three in conference. Their only win was by two points. And I dug into it. I said, what is going on? Why is Penn State so much better? And it goes back to what you were saying. Sometimes when a player leaves, it's not perceived to be an important player. He doesn't move the needle at all. And it turns out there's a guard that plays for Penn State, Josh Reeves. He only scores 11 points per game. Doesn't look that important. But he is an analytics darling. He missed all four of those bad games they played in January. He is their best defender. He's a really good shooter. He doesn't shoot that much. He's a good assist guy. He's a good rebounder. He does everything well. This team is so much better. To give you an example, Penn State's getting eight steals per game with them, only four and a half steals without him. They're much better with Reeves back. Thoughts, Brad? I agree. And actually, I came on the short end of the stick going against Penn State uh, in their last game against Purdue, where I thought it was a great home run spot for Purdue off three straight losses. Uh, Penn State's off this huge win, their best win of the entire season, crushing Ohio State, traveling, one day less rest, and they're right there to the very end, almost won the game outright as a 10-point uh, underdog. And that's what I really like about Penn State back-to-back. Ohio State, the Buckeyes had revenge against Penn State, so two straight games, Penn State's been in really bad situational games, and yet they've covered easily in both games. Now, this may or may not be a beer, but you know, probably not. <laughs> Could be a full sugar Mountain Dew. I'm not denying it. Overrated, overrated, opposite underrated. This is a team that we think specifically the Vegas betting market thinks too much of. Thus, we're inclined to go against them, not blindly, 
but inclined to go against them. Brad, overrated team. Yeah, I mentioned this team a couple of weeks ago. It's Clemson, a team that currently sits number 15 in the AP poll. Number 24 in my power ratings. Here's why I still think they're overrated. I mentioned a few weeks ago they were missing one of their best players, Dante Grantham. They were still winning without him. Why? Because they were playing the weakest teams in the conference. I'm talking Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, a depleted Notre Dame team. So people thought, well, maybe it's not that big of a deal they're missing this guy. They're overcoming it. But when they stepped up in ACC play and played the likes of Virginia, Florida State, recently a home game against Duke, they've gotten beat and failed to exceed the Vegas expectations. And coming up here, very tricky spot. In fact, a wink, wink, you know, one of my favorite plays for Wednesday, I'll be fading this Clemson team on the road against Virginia Tech because not only are they missing Grantham for about the seventh straight game, but another key injury, their third best player with a concussion. And whether he plays or not, I don't expect him to be 100%. I'm fading Clemson. And let me ask you about the Duke loss. That was even more condemning because Duke had one of their best players out, correct? Marvin Bagley, not just one of Duke's best players, one of the top five players in the in the country. You're probably going to be the number one pick. 21 points per game, 12 rebounds per game. Clemson's in a really good spot at home. It's their most important game of the season. And really struggle offensively. Can't even manage 60 points against a terrible Duke defense. I I really like the logic here because... I think oftentimes there's an absence, injury, whatever, and the public is well aware of it, right? It's, it's right. It's like when someone is working at a job and then that person moves on and then it's like he's not, he or she's not there, not there, not there. And then a week or two later, it's just like, okay, they're not there and you don't even think about it because you're used to them not being there. Initially, with an injury, there's a lot of focus on it. But then if there's mitigating circumstances that cause the effect of that injury to be less than the effect of the absence of that player due to injury is less than it was thought. Smart bettors think of it as a spectrum. Okay, we I think this was worth three points. Okay, you know, they're playing better than I expected without them. But, you know, they had some easy games and such. So I'm going to move it down to a two-point adjustment. So a smart better sees it's a spectrum between three points or zero points. And, but other betters, the market in general, I think is going to look and say, Oh wait, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Oh wait, they've just won four straight games. It must not be any big deal at all. So it feels like they, it's kind of a binary. It's a big deal or not. And there can be deceiving situational advantages for a team that make it look like an absence that we thought was a big deal. Isn't when in truth, it still is a a fairly big deal. Even if it's a little less of a big deal than we thought, it's still a fairly big deal. Is that what you think has happened? Exactly. The reason why I still consider Clemson to be overrated. If I get total agreement, I just keep moving. I just smile and keep moving real quick. And we, we ask this sometimes, so overrated means we're looking to play against Clemson. What is the uh, ideal spot to play against Clemson on the road at home? Like looking at them profiling Clemson as a team, when are we even more inclined to play against them? I think any uh, upper echelon team in the ACC, and we've seen that there's been a big disparity. They haven't had any problems still without one of their best players winning and covering against the likes of a Pittsburgh or a Wake Forest. But when they stepped up and played a team like Duke, a team like Virginia, even to a lesser extent, Florida State, any mid-range team, I would say upper half of the ACC top six, seven team, I'm going to play against Clemson. Okay, now next up, Mr. Dave Esler with his overrated team. Uh, my overvalued team this week is the TCU Horn Frogs. 
Ken Palm's got them sitting at 21, uh, and I got to believe there's more than 20 teams better than them uh, right now. And what I really don't like about TCU is that since they lost Jalen Fisher, they're a 500 team, and that kid shot 44% from behind the arc. I mean, they're 6-8 and eight in the Big 12. They, they have one good road win uh, back January 2nd against Baylor. Teams that have typically beat them uh, much more so than others are uh, teams that will shoot over their defense, and, and they happen to play one Wednesday night in Iowa State on the road. So I think they're in a very vulnerable position. So I'm going to put TCU right near the top of that list. So when it comes to Ken Palm, Dave, that's a season-long algorithm. Do you often find mispricing with Ken Palm, whereas a team, if it's due to injury, if it's due to trend lines, where they're playing much better or much worse, do you often disagree with Ken Palm because you think the way a team is playing now is different than the way the team is a playing throughout the season? And, and absolutely, I do. Teams are playing now. Like, like for me, and we've talked about this before, you know, a lot of it's situational. And, and for example, a team like TCU, uh, although they may be sitting at 21st and, and in some people's eyes, they're the 21st best team. Um, they're in a terrible situation where they've, they've lost six of eight. Uh, and since they lost to Vanderbilt in, in the non-conference game, they've really fallen off. And, and now they're going on the road this time of year. I don't think you can put enough stock in playing uh, home games towards the end of the season. Situationally, I, I just think they're in a really rough spot. You know, stats aside, yes, uh, TCU probably ought to be favored, but uh, not by three or four points, which is probably what they're going to be favored by. I mean, I think that's almost ludicrous. I think that's a pick game. That was Dave Esler. All right, Brad and Faz, what do you think? Uh, look, indifferent, again, don't have a strong opinion. I have TCU currently rated number 23. I'll be honest with you, that might be slightly, I might have them slightly overrated at number 23. Keep in mind, I was before their prior game, which wasn't a good result for the Horn Frogs. In my updated power ranks, I don't think they'll be in my top 25. You know, one thing I really like about Dave with his fading TCU, whenever I see a program crack in the top 20 that I never see in most years there, I feel like they've hit the ceiling. TCU is not going to suddenly be a top 15 team. So that's about as good as they're, they're going to get. And they're probably a little bit overrated, right? And they're ahead. Yeah, they're ahead of schedule. I mean, get, let's give a little bit of credit to their head coach, Jamie Dixon, who's doing a tremendous job there. They looked really great at the start of the season, had all these starters back. They have some depth issues and they're starting to get the grind of the Big 12 seasons really wearing down on them. Okay, so this is a Allen Boston concept I've heard from him first, which is the idea that, okay, in co- and this is college basketball specific is this program has a certain ceiling, floor, let's say a range of reasonable, uh, not outcomes, but let's say season results. As in, okay, Kansas, they could be the best team in the country. Probably not going to be worse than the, the 12th best team in the country most years, right? If not every year, almost. And then you've got another team that might be, hey, they could get up to 40, and they could be as low as 70. There's these these bands, range of band, you know, band ranges, I guess we'll call them, um, like on an equalizer. Okay. And if a team is on its lower or upper band, it probably is a little bit over or underrated. Meaning if a team's range is 40 to 70 and they're about 40, chances are some stuff has fallen in their favor that we're not perceiving that there's more luck in them being, if, if you've been 40 to 70 for the last 10 years, unless there's some fundamental change, 
you know, why should you be 40 this year at the very edge of your ability? Maybe it's some great confluence of events, but maybe it's, hey, you won that one game because of some referee and you won this other game because the star player was out and maybe they're a little bit overrated or vice versa. If you're 70, hey, maybe some breaks went against you. And Fez, that's what I'm hearing you say. TCU has had a range for many, many years. They're at the top of that range. It's hard to imagine that they should be even better than that right now. Exactly. That's pretty much the peak of a TCU basketball team is to crack the top 20. Now, in theory, you get a new coach and things can just, the whole paradigm, the basic assumptions can change. But I think more times than not, when someone gets out of their range and you say, all right, how many times, and it could be, high or low out of the range. How many times is that an aberration that they're going to come back pretty quickly to the range? And how many times is there a new range we've got to set? I think the new range being set is the minority and, and, and the flukiness of being out of the range is the majority. Agreed. Agree. Okay. Interesting concept. This is pregame.com. I'm RJ Bell. We got Brad powers. We got Steve Fezzik. Speaking of Fezzik, the only two time, Super contest champion. Listen, very, very humble, Steve Fezzik. So we'll say it for him. In all the five boroughs, I'm known. I'm known all over the f-ing world. <laughs> Overrated team, Fez. Overrated. We're going to stick to the same theme of th- this is as high as this team can get. Auburn, overrated. They're sniffing at the top 10 here. Auburn is not used to being in the top 10. So they were a team I'm looking to fade already. Now a key injury. Macklemore, one of their big men, goes out. He's out for the year, and he only scores seven points per game. So who cares? He shouldn't move the needle, right? But he gets two blocks a game. He plays really good defense. After he went down, Bruce Pearl, their coach, comes out and says, this is a real problem. We only have eight scholarship players. We're not deep. Without him, it's going to be a real struggle. I know they're 11-3 and in conference. They've had a fine year. Now is the time to fade this team, despite their 18-7 and against the spread record. Fully agree. Uh, and here's a team that just 10 days ago in the committee reveal was what, number five or number six in the committee reveal? I have the number, not even in the top 10. I have Auburn number 13 in my latest edition of my power rings on Friday. And that was before a terrible loss against South Carolina, before the, the key injury. This is a team that's not even going to be in my top 15. So I fully agree. And we're already seeing the market continue to want to play on them because they're, they got Auburn's got a big revenge spot against Alabama coming up on Wednesday night. They're favored by eight and a half. I think this team's completely overrated. I'll be going against Auburn in that spot. We've talked about the historical range of college basketball teams. What about the contrast between where a team is played versus their preseason expectations? Ohio State's a good example. Uh, 11th in the Big Ten, all right? And they far exceeded expectations. Uh, you know, is it fair to say they've come back to earth? I mean, how would you characterize where they are now? You know, relative, I mean, they're obviously much better than they were expected to be even now. Right. Yeah. Oh, no question. Uh, I think what's hurting them is they came into the season, well, but but I'm not interested so much about what's hurting them. What I'm at. And it's interesting stuff, but what I'm asking about specifically is the idea that if a team like we, let's think about the, how the analogousness is that right? Analogousness, <laughs> the similarity of saying, okay, this team should be between 40 and 70 historically, or they are have been. And, oh, okay. Now they're 35. Hmm. We're skeptical. Well, if a team was supposed to be 11th in the big 10 and they're second or third, 
are we skeptical of that too? Do we think, okay, and, and obviously it's a team by team basis. Cause you can say, wow, this guy is, you know, Oklahoma, even though they've played poorly recently, they weren't even supposed to be as good. You know, they weren't a tournament team entering the year, right? Uh, borderline tournament team. All right. So then maybe they're just exceeding expectations a little bit, but let's say we go back 10 games when they were far exceeding expectations. We could have said, wait a minute, Trey Young, we didn't expect this guy to be this good. So the assumptions of the preseason were just plain wrong. If you can't identify why the assumptions of a preseason were just plain wrong, then shouldn't we be skeptical of a team that's outplaying their preseason rating? Absolutely. And we've seen a lot of these teams, uh, Oklahoma being one, kind of came back to earth. Arizona State was a team in the top five, played well beyond everyone's expectations. The true reality was uh, they're just slightly better than 500, and that's what they've been here the last six weeks of conference play. So I agree with your overall analysis there. So, Fez, how do you use the expectation range historically versus entering a season differently. I think you got to look at it on a team by team basis. I really think So we could just tape you saying that and then any answer that you don't have an answer <laughs> and, for you can just say and it then depends. Just, just trust the eye test. It just depends, right? <laughs> I don't have the answer. Well, I'm sorry. I, I will say on Ohio State they did have a new coach. So I mean that, that I agree with Fest for a certain extent team by team basis in some aspects. The with the NBA for example, right? You let's say you say a team is uh, entering the year, you expect them to be a 500 team. And let's say they're the second seed come in, in the East come January. Or, you know, let's look at the Celtics, right? Celtics after Hay, Hayward was hurt. Obviously, they've exceeded expectations since then. Do you look and say with the Celtics, huh, I can't really understand why they're doing this, so I'm skeptical? Or, you know, this is a, a, a very specific example of this concept. The Celtics massively exceeded expectations in November and December, RJ, and they won a whole lot of close games. That's really what happened. They're not exceeding expectations anymore. Their season win number was 54, and it looks like they might go under it. Yeah, but season win when Hayward was there. No, even after 54. Really? Let, let, oh, let, let me got hurt, a, he got hurt yeah. opening night. Yeah, I, I let's be a little skeptical yeah, of that. Right? that you're right. You're right. Okay. So it would have been probably 50 and a half without him. So you're right. They're still going to go. They're going to exceed expectations, but it's going to be close, RJ. Okay, so it see, it almost feels like I'm trying to explain to my grandfather something here. So, <laughs> like, you're looking at me like you don't get what I'm asking. Okay, so you understand, understood, you're known in all five boroughs. So let, let's let's perk up here and try to figure this one out. Is <laughs> you understood the idea that there's a range of expe- uh, of history for a team, and if they're outside the range, you're skeptical. Okay, fifth time we've said that. There's expectations entering a season. How do you consider if a team varies greatly from that? I get there's going to be a team-specific element to it, but are you just super inclined to say, yeah, I'm, I'm really skeptical. I mean, I, it's a question. How skeptical, maybe this is the way I'll ask the question. How skeptical are you of teams that their results are, are significantly different than preseason expectations? I'm very skeptical in December and the NBA with 82 games. I'm not nearly as skeptical by March because we have enough sample size in college basketball. Let's face it. You play a lot of cupcakes. You have much smaller um, sample size. So in January, mm-hmm. I can be very skeptical of, of a small sample. That's Oklahoma a, was ranked fourth in the country. That's a great point. So like in baseball, 15 games in, if a team that was supposed to finish last in the division is first, 
you're going to be skeptical they're the best team in the division. 150 games in, kind of hard to be skeptical. Yeah, and then if you consider, yeah, that's a see. There you go. We kept digging, and you actually get that was that that's added to my understanding. Thank you. It seems like you add in the sample size, your number of games, right? And I think in the NFL, you can never be sure. I mean, it, to me, I think there's teams that that are eleven and five that if the season were replayed, would be seven and nine. And I think there's seven and nine teams that would be eleven and five. I mean, literally, if you could just go back in time. Yeah, and that's why looking at the underlying stats for a team is a good check for did their record really match how well they played. Yeah, so I think one way to do it is is look at the stats. Now in football, right, we look at net yards per play. There's DVOA that you can look at. What are the stats in basketball? Maybe, you know, I'm open to NBA. I'm open to college. What are the stats that tell us, okay, you know, I know the whole Pythagorean concept is if you're winning – by a lot in your wins and losing the close games, you tend to be better than your record and vice versa. Um, other than close wins and, and, and close losses, what are the factors in basketball that say, oh, point at that and say that's likely an underrated or overrated team? Well, I, I start with the points per game differential, like you mentioned, but you got to be very careful because you look at the Cleveland Cavaliers. RJ, any idea what the Cavs differential is? Hint, it's not very good at all. But... I think also that the, the Cavs are an example of a team when they are losing a game that they're not afraid to get beat by 40. Exactly right. So they're down 20 at the end of the third quarter. They're going to lose by 33. So they their stats year to date are that of a 500 team, but they're like nine games over 500. But when you say stats, you, you're really meaning point differential. I mean point differential, right, because they don't try hard when the game is when they're way ahead or way behind. Okay, so other than point differential – in either college or NBA, we have net yards per play. We always say it's the wise guy stat. And if if the net yards per play, and I think DVOA is even better because it weights it for uh, strength of schedule. It weights other factors into it. Um, you know, it, it's back to that old, hey, if it's third and nine and you gain eight yards, was that a good play or not? Right? Net yards per play say it was a good eight yards on offense is a great play. But DVOA says, no, it wasn't a good play. And if the defense gives up eight, was that good or bad? Well, I think it's good, but net yards per play says it's bad. So, but some combination or one of the, or the other of those are are pretty telling. Those stats, what stats are telling? And another thing telling in football is net turnover margin. If you have a very good or very bad net turnover margin, um, it's hard to overcome if you've got a bad one, and it's hard to lose with a good one. So what are the basketball stats? It's like, look at that number. And if that if someone's ranked sixth in the league in that number, but they're 20th in the league in record, they're better than 20th. I think you should look at games decided by two possessions or less, six points or less. If you're, say you're four and four, that's where you, what you should be for your overall record. If you're seven and one or two and nine, you're probably over or undervalued. Uh, I'm going to use a completely random one where people have done studies. It's random? Well, uh, it's free throw percentage defense. It's you don't do anything, but you have one team that's ranked number one in the country. Maybe uh, their opponents are only shooting sixty five percent from the free throw line. You got a team that's number three fifty one, and they're completely on the opposite. Their opponents are shooting ninety percent. I mean, it's not like you're guarding them. It just happens happenstance that your opponents are really good free throw shooting teams, and they're not. So you're saying your opponent's free throw shooting percentage 
is what correlate like the better it is the worse like say like, how's this work like say you benefited like say you're number one in free throw percentage defense I mean you're not doing anything you're just standing at the at the line so let's call it opponent's free throw percentage opponent's free throw percentage All right. so you're saying if it's really good yeah your opponent's, opponent's only re- shooting sixty five percent against well you. in that case it's really bad yes so let's say it's really bad so what you're saying is you as a team are benef- benefiting from something you have nothing to do with yep and thus. You've you've got an advantage built a secret advantage built in that's making you look better than you are. Yes. Okay. So that that's fascinating. That's a that's see I haven't really thought about that one. And that's interesting. So so that feels like one that doesn't tell you how good you are, but it could tell you do you have an advantage or disadvantage see or that's hidden built into your season that could make it where your your results are skewed, your one loss record are skewed because of that. Yep. Somewhere out there, there's Belichick's nephew who's coaching a Vermont-type team that has instructed his players to hack any big man who can't shoot free throws who gets the ball in the paint who's shaking his head doesn't apply to us, though. Okay, that's interesting. But, you know, if, if, if you're filing, you know, that's actually a pretty good point, right? Someone gets the ball in the paint, and they're 58% from the line. You foul them. If you have less than two fouls or whatever, there's some... Uh, logic to it where you foul him here, but you don't foul them. But if it's the other guy that shoots 78%, you don't foul him. So you do have some role in it. And you do see good coaches, RJ. They have a play that they call, which is like zebra, the yelling animal. And what that means is we got to foul within the next 10 seconds. And they don't hack the guards. They double team the guards, wait for a forward to get it. And then they foul. The bad coaches just say foul, foul. And they hack this 88% free throw shooter with 14 seconds left. This is R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. In a few minutes, we're going to be talking a little bit of NBA, All-Star Game and such, then the big games, then the best bets. First, though... Let's go quickly because we've talked about this on various pregame.com platforms. Follow the money is the idea was you had Oklahoma uh, number 32. The uh, reveal last week had them 16. Now I'm actually hearing conversation. Will Oklahoma even make the tournament? I mean, to me, that seems like how could they not with being 16 just, you know, a week ago, um, I'm let's keep this narrow is Oklahoma. What's Oklahoma's ATS run of late. Obviously it's very bad. And are they still overrated? One and 11 against the spread their last 12 games, still overrated Pub- public in the betting markets and majority of not, not every game, but more often than not are still betting on Oklahoma in this particular game. And I'll say they're overrated. What's the most public thing people go to a lot of times this time of year Bracketology. What were the brackets saying? Well, the guy from ESPN, Joe Lenardi, as of today, we're taping this Tuesday, still has Oklahoma as a number six seed. To me, that's vast. They're still vastly overrated. And the when's the reveal come out? Is it weekly? No, they just do it, I think, once or twice is all. Okay. Okay. Interesting. All right. The other team. Now, why, why we say follow the money? Why are we talking about corruption? Our theory is Oklahoma is the team that people uh, or the NCAA would most like to advance further than maybe is warranted because you've got that uh, high profile superstar freshman 
and Trey Young. And we talked about this at length on our Weekend Fox show. Straight out of Vegas, Fridays at 11 p.m. to midnight. Saturday starts an hour earlier, 10 to midnight. That's Pacific time. And the theory is that they might get some preferential seating. The sixth seed would seem to be very preferential as of Tuesday here. The other team we think that the money says, in this case, it's the corrupt money, says, oh, this is a team that hopefully the NCAA, from their perspective, won't advance far, would be Michigan State because of all the controversy. So give me right now, again, from a Vegas market perspective, give me how good Michigan State is relative to what the Vegas market thinks. Well, the Vegas market, as far as futures, think Michigan State's the best team in the country. They have the shortest odds, meaning they have the best odds. They're only like three to one, four to one to win the national title. So number one in the country, according to Vegas, as far as that concerned, the committee just 10 days ago had them number 11. So they had them as a number three seed. But I will say, while the committee had Michigan State overrated uh, or underrated, I think the betting markets have them actually overrated. Here's a team that's only covered one of their last eight games. So it's back to all right, Michigan. All right, so it's back to this idea. There's three points along the the spectrum. It's what does the mainstream think, what does the Vegas market think, and what is the truth. And in this case, you're saying that the Vegas market actually has them higher rated than you think they should be. Great. I'll break it right down. Uh, the committee has Michigan State number 11. That To me, that's absurd. I, that, that, that's been about a week ago yeah, now, right? Yeah, 10 okay. days ago. Uh, and the Vegas markets have Michigan State number one. My power ratings say the truth lies in the middle. I have Michigan State like number four or number five. There you go. It's, it's not e- Listen, it's not easy. Right? You, can bet, you can bet all the favorites and, you know, lose a lot or you can embrace the complexity and at minimum lose less, maybe win, but a minute, Hey, it's better to lose less. Let's be candid for a second. Let's be candid about that. Okay. We did touch on Nebraska and why you think they turned it around. Brad, give us a quick recap on, on this streak of theirs and not as, I guess it's not a, a streak per se, but this run of theirs and, They've lost twice now during the run to the same team against the spread, correct? Yeah, the, Nebraska 16 and 2 against the spread their last 18 games, 16 and 0 against everyone, 0 and 2 against Illinois. And now why is that? Well, I think they really struggled with Illinois' length. They're one of the, the the taller teams in the Big 10 and where do you see that rebounding? Uh Nebraska completely outclassed on the boards by 26 rebounds combined in the two games. <laughs> Watching that game uh minute by minute in the, the second of the two games uh, they just had no answers for Illinois' length. And is there any, looking at their schedule, and if you need a second, we can talk about one other topic. Looking at their schedule, the rest of regular season, is there any team that Nebraska's scheduled to play that you think will ha- give them the same problems lengthwise? No. Uh, they only have two games left in the regular season. As we're taping on Tuesday, they're playing at home against Indiana, and Nebraska's favored by three. I will say this. Nebraska needs to win their next two games. There's, here's a team on the bubble that are probably going to get a little overpriced in the market, not only because bubble teams often get, oh, they're on the bubble, it's a must win, they got to win this game, they often get overpriced, and two, people are now kind of aware of the streak. I've seen the markets get closer and closer to the actual truth of Nebraska's power rating. So right now, if you had next two games, if you were forced to play on them or against them, what would you do? Mm. Like It's not one game or the other. You either fade them both games or... Fade them both games. All right. 
next topic. And let's go quick on this. These are the blue bloods. We've got two. You you actually did a tweet at Brad Power Seven. So on Twitter, his handle Brad Powers Seven. The mysterious number seven, the numeral at the end, Brad Power Seven, is you had here's the likelihood of winning the title in my mind, and you had the list, Brad's mind, and then you had the odds, the current odds right next to it, and there were two teams that jumped out at me, North Carolina and Kansas. I mean, Fez, you are the one. It's like, that's another thing I could record with you. It's like, Fez, what do you think about this future? I don't play futures. And it's like, why not? Oh, I could just mechanical parlay it. So you don't like futures, right? But I don't disagree at all with the two futures Brad likes. But it just seems crazy that one of the reasons we don't like futures is there's a lot of, uh, I don't like them either, but I'm a little more entertaining about it. But usually it's because the lack of value in futures is because one, there's um, a lot of imputed vig or juice in there. Right. And number two is it's such a public market. The the good teams usually are even less value offer less value, but here we've got North Carolina and Kansas. I mean, two of the, you could say two of the three um, great programs in the country with Kentucky that, that are offering value. Why would that be? It's because they both struggled early in the year. And so what happened is all the, the Virginias, the Dukes, the Michigan States, they all got bet so much that the sports books got lopsided liabilities. So they're offering all those teams around five to one, whereas Kansas and North Carolina are at 20 to one. And 20 to one is like the magic number, RJ. And here's why. If you're going to be like a one through a two seed, in that maybe a three, but probably forecast to be a two seed, you're likely to get to the Sweet 16. You get to the Sweet 16 and you're a blue blood, you're going to be about picking those last four games at least, and you might get an easy opponent. So let's, let's think about it. If you get four straight pickums, that's a 16 to one shot. You're going to be better than a 16 to one shot to win if you can get to the Sweet 16. And the committee is going to give Kansas and North Carolinas, the blue bloods, the easiest path possible. So I think there's value if you get more than 16 to one. Now that's not a blind, but that's an interesting kind of setting. The, the, the posts out there is the idea of if you're getting true odds from the sweet 16 on and you got four pick em games, you're in that, that, that 16 for one range. And you're saying, okay, the first round is going to be fairly easy. If you're a higher seat, second round, not so much. So you got to consider that. So you're kind of making it 20 to one. Uh, and if if it's a team you expect to be a top four seed is over twenty to one, and you and you think they're underrated, you might be tempted. Is what you're telling me. And you might get an, an easy game in the third round. You might get a number eleven seed. It certainly happens. Now, what you talked about earlier was interesting because when I heard you say, "Oh, well, North Carolina um, lost some games early. Kansas lost some games early," and I was thinking you're saying, "Well, the public still remembers that." Is what I thought you were going to say. I think there's some of that, but what I heard you say after was kind of fresh to me, which was the idea is, so when they were losing, they weren't being bet in the future market. Other teams were, the Virginias, et cetera, and thus they're looking for action to kind of even out their futures pool so they don't mind offering because they're lopsided on some of those teams that surged early. So that that's interesting. So you would think that when the North Carolinas and Kansas, in this case, when these two teams do get some future action, you might see like a quick drop. 
It won't be 25 to 22 to 20 to 18 to 15. It might go from 25 to 12 really quick because when they feel like they've got enough, they're just going to bring it right back in line. Yeah, all, one game. If KU wins their next key game and cements the Big 12 title, they're going to get a number one seed. They're going to be, you're going to blink and they're going to be eight to one, not 20 to one. Yeah, I agree. And we've already seen that this year. Virginia at Duke. Virginia prior to the Duke game, 25 to one, beats Duke on the road. High profile matchup next week. They're eight to one to win it all. But, but but I think that's an example where one win changes the whole narrative or perception of a okay. team, right? Which I I think that's a valid point. In this point, I think what you're saying, Fez, and let's make sure I got it right, is what you're saying is if a if a book's so what's the odds on North Carolina and Kansas as of taping? Uh, average for North Carolina twenty to one, Kansas eighteen to one. Okay, so Fez, what you're saying is those seem juicy. These are blue bloods. Um, some people look at North Carolina and say they might be the best team in the country, right? I mean, you were talking about that, Brad. No, actually, Fez was oh, last week. Okay, so why why is this so juicy? Is is it because they simply won a couple bets on these teams, and at these odds, they know they'll get them because they're lopsided on Michigan State or or, or other teams that that didn't have some of these high-profile losses earlier that got people off them? Yeah, they've got no money on these teams from the pros. Maybe the public bet them, but all the pros early in the year, they're seeing Kansas and North Carolina struggling. There's no way the pros were going to bet these teams projected to be like five and six seeds potentially. Now, all of a sudden, we're talking about them being two seeds, and that's a very recent phenomenon for both these teams. But once it, once the conversation becomes, oh, Kansas is going to be a one or two seed. Why wouldn't their odds drop when the conversation changes? Well, they are. It's just the market is very slow on the futures well, to adjust. Th- what you just said are two different things. I asked why the odds don't drop. You said they are, but the odds are slow to adjust. Those are sl- two opposite things. Why are so? You're saying the future. You're saying the game by game odds are adjusting, as in the way they're valued in the daily market. So right now, NC and Kansas are more highly valued in a daily market than they are in the futures market. Yes. And I think what happened, Kansas beat West Virginia, but they were favored to win. They beat Oklahoma. They were a prohibitive favorite to win. So the market has kind of sloughed it off as not being a significant enough to move the futures markets. But the truth is those two wins have them set up to be a potential one seed instead of a possible four seed. All right. So, and, and I also think it's important to realize with futures is it's very book specific. And and if there's any place you got to shop, and there might just be one or two places where the rest of the market can be at twelve to one, and it's still twenty two to one because they haven't taken that one, you know, two hundred dollar bet or whatever on them that they want to bring it back down. Right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I had to scramble to get Kansas at twenty to one. I actually bet that just yesterday. Okay, so you guys, for for those that can get it, you guys both recommend. North Carolina about 20 to one and and Kansas about 18 to one. Yeah. More North Carolina for me than Kansas. I think they're both good. Okay. A little bonus future action there. We're going to talk a little NBA and then we're going to get to the biggest games, Kansas, Texas tech, Louisville, Duke, three best bets, rapid fire NBA. Let's put our fan hat on for like 90 seconds. That's, that's our fan time here. Uh, what did you guys, and we'll start with you, Faz, what did you think of the All-Star game as a as a game? Was this an improvement, the whole Team LeBron and all that? Well, let me caveat it, because I was at Circus Circus doing camel racing during the game, so I did not watch it. What, what is camel racing? You roll the little ball, and it goes into a slot, and your camel moves one, two, or five spots, and if you get to the end, you win a big stuffed animal. <laughs> is this positive EV? 
if you're really good at it. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So, but I have got reports from my guys who are watching and following it. And it was a home run in terms of competitive effort. The, the All-Star game had become a joke, RJ. The last two years, East against the West, they'd scored about 380 points. So the commissioner met with the union and they decide, hey, what can we do to improve this game? We had Team Steph against Team LeBron. They chose their teams. Everyone got a $100,000 bonus if their team won. And it was super competitive. Instead of Matador defense, the defense, although it wasn't all-star effort defense, it was pretty good defense. And that caused this game to be much lower scoring. And I felt, and, and Fez, you gave it out on national radio on Fox. You liked the under. And to me, it was a great example of how handicapping multiple sports can help. We always talk about specialization is really good. And, and I think it is, but, uh, and what I mean by that is it's hard to be in October, for example, handicapping, uh, NBA or let's say November NBA and college basketball and college football and NFL. It's just borderline impossible unless you're a freak. But the fact that you handicapped the NFL and the NBA, you said, Hey, when the, Pro Bowl went to be more competitive when they were picking teams and such. You said all the effort level went up and the defense went down. If I remember 100 points per game for the three prior years before the change and then 60 points per game the three years after, you projected this and the total fell, what, about 30 points under? Yes, so 40 points under the 338. It didn't even get to 300. And, you know, moving forward to next year, I bet the odds makers set it too high again, looking at the last three years of data. Hey, the, the two years before this one, I think are irrelevant. This year's data is what's much more significant. Why does it still seem like gambling to you? There you go, Fez. <laughs> Follow him on Twitter at Fezzik Sports, F-E-Z-Z-I-K at Fezzik Sports. Now, if you can only follow one person, now listen, no one says you can only follow one, but if you can only follow one of us, his Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. Okay, let's talk post All-Star break handicapping. Give us, Fez, in the NBA, one thing to be looking for as these teams on Thursday, a handful of them, and then Friday come back online. I think it's tank time in the NBA. You've got six teams that have 18 wins. They're all tied to be the worst team in the NBA. RJ, this is the last year where tanking really is going to benefit you to have the worst record. You've got a 25% chance to get the number one pick in the draft. If you finish with the worst record after this year, you're only going to have a 14% chance. There's a whole lot of teams that are going to be looking to actively not win. In fact, Mark Cuban, Dallas Mavericks, one of these teams with 18 wins, came out and publicly admitted, hey, I met with my guys, the players, and emphasized to them, I, I actually said to them, it's in our best interest not to win. Mark Cuban said it's in our best interest not to win. Yes, yeah, said it on the Dr. J podcast. Well, I'm going to have to look that up. That's a good time. Mark Cuban quote. That's a good time to tease our new show. Don't bet on it. Me and Steve Cofield, who does our Fox show, he co-hosts with me and Brad and Faz are on the wise, in the wise guy chairs, typically, is... What we do is we take the hottest takes of the week. And what we say is cold cash beats hot takes. So Cofield, who has traffic in hot takes for 25 years, I'm not judging it, I'm not saying it's illegal, I'm not saying it should be illegal. Maybe it should, 
but he's done it. He's made his living from it. And now he's being called to account. And last week, uh, the feedback was great. The, this show comes out every Friday morning. And it's really fun. It's a chance to kind of apply Vegas. You know, we had Colin Cowherd. We had Shaq. We had uh, Barkley last week. And, and and hearing the feedback from those guys and critiquing it Vegas style is quite entertaining. And you get that, like all of our podcasts, simply subscribe to the feed. It's that simple. Just search for RJ Bell on your favorite podcast player. Subscribe. And listen, some people use multiple players. And what ends up happening sometimes is our shows release, let's say, 5 a.m. Eastern time. Most players are going to have it right at 5 a.m. So you check it Friday morning. It's going to be there. I sure up really early. And but sometimes a certain pod player will not have it for three or four hours. I get a lot of tweets like, where is it? Where is it? Well, if you have a second pod player, so Apple, you know, iTunes type players, one or Stitcher or whatever, you can actually subscribe both places and. Usually one or the other will have it. If you use more than one, subscribe and both don't bet on it. It's worth checking out for sure. Here's my premise. The more players a team had involved in the all-star game, and I'm not even talking about the minutes played, because to me, from what I can see, being in L.A. this year especially, it was about the parties. It was about the Instagram models, et cetera. I think a team like Golden State I look to fade them their first game. I think this team's much more tired than their opponent, most likely. Oh, I agree strongly. I think that that is, makes logical sense and maybe an under-the-radar fade, RJ. How about let's fade some Clippers and let's fade some Lakers also? They were on the scene. Ooh, ooh. That was good. That was good. Unfortunately, I believe the Lakers are playing the Dallas Mavericks, the team that publicly says. Well, here's the question, though, and and let's double back quickly to the whole tanking. We've talked about how for Vegas, you have to not only be right, you got to be contrary. Whereas, hey, Tom Brady's out. It's going to hurt the Patriots. You're right. But now is the market properly accounting for that? And if so, well, you're right. Being right doesn't gain you anything. Correct. So here's the question. The teams that are tanking, do you think the market's going to undervalue that or underappreciate under account for that is probably the way to say it. Yes. In February, by March, they'll catch up to it because it's a little early for everyone to be tanking. But I think RJ with discussion of this already so early that all these teams with 18 wins, they're going to react. Hey, these guys are doing it. We're going to do it. One note. So it's like a race, a race to the bottom. Exactly. But be careful. There's two teams out there that don't get number one draft picks that are, aren't very good. Brooklyn only has 19 wins. The Lakers, I believe, 23. Neither one of those teams has their number one pick anymore. So if you're looking for one bad team to do better than expected, I would take the Brooklyn Nets and get this, RJ. Think about it. How embarrassed would you be if you're Brooklyn and you wind up with a number one pick? I would do everything possible as an organization to win as many games as possible to not embarrass the organization for having given up a top pick. So so you're saying in that case, it's even more incentive. Now think about what you're saying. It's one thing to say, Hey, we are incentivized because we have our pick to make, if we're not going to make the playoffs to make that pick as good as possible. But if we're actually have to give that pick up, we're incentivized to not give them a good pick. Even though it doesn't affect that team really at all, 
It's just what the PR side of it. Yeah, it would be horrible PR to wind up with the number one pick. So I expect Brooklyn to play every game like they need to win like blood. Okay, college basketball in a second. Let's talk Olympics real quick here. One thing I'm fascinated by is the guys, and and I've met one or two of them too, I guess, that are like they spend four years in between the Winter Olympics and then come the Winter Olympics, they end up spending like 200 hours handicapping, you know, curling or whatever. And though there's not a big market for it, it would seem, they just kill these Winter Olympics. Faz, you're as connected as anyone around Vegas. Uh, I mean, you, it, this year specifically, you know, the, I, I guess this four-year cycle, is this a situation? We'll go behind the Vegas curtain here. Is this a situation where you've seen as many guys um, taking advantage of this, you know, sort of illiquid market? Or how, in general, have you seen Olympic betting going? I'm seeing guys specializing in one or two sports. I've got a curling expert, RJ. That literally, <laughs> Wait, say, hold on, say it again. I have a curling expert <laughs> that mocks the openers, and they're so pro-U.S. The U.S. just upset Canada in the men's curling round in one of the rounds. He could not believe it. He lost a fortune. He's been killing it. He was ten and four before that, and he's literally sending me an email with all these curse words. Can you believe these donkeys got there with the USA? Don't they know that the Canadian curling team would win that match six out of seven times? (laughs) (laughs) I have a curling expert. You heard it right here, right here on the dream. We can't do it only in dreams again, but (laughs) if you can buy half points in curling, RJ, a half curl is worth a lot. (laughs) Have you done the analysis? So what's the more? How much are you able to get down on your curling expert? I, I, I think the bookmaker openers, it's a dime limit. No, you think, so you're not they're, playing, they're, they're you're not playing the curling expert? I No, I have him play for me. I have him guess it. Get me down. I am Elma J. Fudd, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. Listen, if you want to own a mansion and a yacht, you damn well better have a curling expert when it's the Winter Olympics. Take that away if you take anything away from this week's podcast. All right, guys. <laughs> and don't bend against a guy named Johansson from Norway because you'll go broke. Oh, Lordy V. And in U.S., though, obviously, just fading them in general, it would seem, just the medal count, the gold medal count. I mean, there's just, that's going to be the premium of premiums, typically. Yeah, so I think they had odds in terms of who's going to have the most medals, and I think the USA was like the number five pick, and they're nowhere in contention. So the the markets were a little bit inflated in terms of expectations of the USA. All right, guys, we're going to talk the biggest games and best bets here in a moment. First, though, our one and only commercial break. Oh, True Car. What a sponsor of the Dream Preview. These guys, they drive brand new. Fez, you drive what? Is it a Maserati? (laughs) We we do own a Jetta. We? we, No, no, I'm serious. What do you drive? Mercedes. This guy. I mean, it's it's brand spankling. I mean, do do you get a new one? Like, It seems like it's always new. It's five years old, but we get it detailed like every year, so it looks new. <laughs> and Brad, you've got one of those like sixty thousand dollar big trucks. Yeah, uh, brand new Ford uh, four by four F one fifty. He's not too shy, is he? 
All right. Well, listen. You're paying your people too much, aren't you? Uh, you know, I'm starting <laughs> to wonder. It's a, both those cars are nicer than mine. Listen, here are some useful car tips you might not be aware of. Eight, now, check. This sounds crazy, but it's true. A coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. Fez doesn't have to worry. He's got people to do that. Removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage. I, I've, I've told people that. And you can place your key fob to your chin to increase its range. Weird, right? Well, here's another tip for you. You might not know about True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right. True Car isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with True Car, users can see what others are paying so they know if they're getting a good deal before they buy. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with True Car certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. By the way, small print, some features not available in all states. So, you know what, the way I think about it, I tell you guys every time, if it's available in your state, take advantage. All right, we're back. And before we get to the two biggest games and the three best bets, we've got Dave Esler with a very powerful concept when it comes to handicapping late in the season. This is about two minutes. We're going to play it and then get feedback from Brad and Fezzik. Okay, my handicapping concept this week that, that I put a lot of emphasis on uh, is teams playing in their last or, or near their last home game. Uh, there's a lot of teams that tend to be under the radar that might be, you know, three or four seniors that have been together three or four years. And it is a big deal to them, especially at, at schools that might be typically basketball type schools, like maybe an old Dominion. I'm just I'm just throwing that out of the hat. People know they, they play a lot of basketball. And what we've done is we've gone sort of evolved through this whole thing. At one point in time, it was strength of schedule, which is still important. And then youth. And then last week, we looked at a lot of coaching. And, and none of these things are mutually exclusive. They, there are overlaps. But now it's kind of last home game. So for me, almost regardless of motivation, it, it's tough for me to fade teams in that situation. You know, for example, tomorrow night, you have Providence playing their next to last home game over Seton Hall. They're in a good spot. Oklahoma in their next to last home game over Texas Tech. And and so the, the, the Power Five conferences still have another week to play. But a lot of the smaller conferences, the Missouri Valley, the Summit League, the Colonial, uh, they've only got two games. They're done this week, probably Saturday. So th- that is a big thing for me. So we've talked about in prior weeks how at the end of regular season, there's questionable motivation with a lot of college basketball teams. The theory being, hey, if you're out of it, from an at-large perspective, then there's nothing to play for really until it's conference tournament time. Or if you're in the tournament safely and you're not competing for a one seed or a two seed, yeah, you want to have a better seed, but hey, fifth seed, sixth seed, really not much of a difference. This seems to be the exception. What's the logic behind the exception? And it sounds like the idea that it's the last of something so people care about it more. The players care about it more. Does this apply more to teams that are more senior laden 
whereas it's their last game, or even if there's a bunch of freshmen and sophomores, they still care about it being their last home game? Well, that's, that's a good question. And, and I don't know that I can quantify that. You know, yes, it's being senior laden probably has a more weight to it. But again, you know, even for some of the, the smaller schools, these kids have been together four years. You look at a team like William and Mary that, that's going nowhere. You know, they might make the NIT. You know, they've got two games left. They're both at home. You know, they've lost four of the last five. They got a, two seniors in the backcourt that start. They play Wilmington and College of Charleston. And, and I got to believe they're going to gonna win one or both of those games strictly because of the seniors. You know, I've never been able to quantify it as to, you know, how many seniors, what position. Obviously, a point guard might be more important or, you know, a power forward might be more important. That was Dave Vessler, Brad Powers. Faz, what do you think? Well, I have kind of a contrarian approach, and you guys can shoot me down on this, but sometimes I like to fade a senior-laden team on senior day because of all the emotion pregame. Uh, you're sitting there, maybe your parents are, are there. I see a lot of the, uh, the guys are like crying and that like that before the game, and then within a five-minute period, you're go expected to play a basketball game. A lot of times I find myself, senior-laden teams, to play against these teams in the first half because it takes them a couple of the first couple of TV timeouts to get used to the game flow. I think it depends who starts for your team. If you got William and Mary, like, so it depends. Well, yeah, Dave Esler said like, Hey, William and Mary, he's got a backcourt. That's got two seniors, right? They're going to be jacked up sky high, maybe an NIT team contrast that. But, but, if, but let's talk about that. So it would seem if Brad's contrarian approach is correct, that that situation where where the typical person, Esler, you in this case, also Fez, are saying, hey, to whatever degree the last senior game is going to matter or last home game is going to matter, which I think is correlated to how many last year players you have, it's either a positive, right? You're sky high, that's a good thing, or you're sky high and it's a bad thing. Right. What, what do you think it is? It. It's a case-by-case basis. Let me give you an example, RJ. <laughs> we got to get that recorded. Very important. Very important. Let me give you an Time example. You've got, you've, got, you've, got a starting, we'll you've got a starting backcourt that's awesome, and you've got a sophomore and a junior, and you've got two seniors that are role players. You're laying 15 points, and you put both the seniors in the starting lineup on senior night, and the team has had a great year, and they're on a long winning streak, and they're just hearing all their accolades, and the two best players aren't even going to start the game. Really not a good spot. Roy Williams is a coach that, you know, starts all the seniors, whether they're walk-on, second string, or, you know, all-American starter. Yeah, but for how long? Usually through the first TV timeout. But, I mean, four minutes, that's 20-some percent. It's not always factored into the line. Okay, so let's let's break away this concept, which I think is a powerful one, is if you're if you're affecting the lineup in a negative way, that's negative, okay? And it's a great point. I mean, I, I, I'd give the in dreams again. I mean, you know what we'll do just for old times? Say, well, no, we can't play hip to be square because it's the opposite of square. Right? Let's just say super kudos. Okay, let's set that aside, though. Fez, I, I, I think, I don't know if you're preparing your answer in your head. You're not listening to the question. I, I want you to just really just take a breath and listen to what I'm saying. Watch. <sighs> okay. I mean, I want to have a drink of Mountain Dew first. One second. Okay, here's my question. Let's assume whatever the confluence of events, a team really cares about senior night. Might be because they have a bunch of seniors. Might be, it doesn't matter. They care. Okay. Is that a pro or a con? It's both. <laughs> All right, what's the pro? The pro is you're sky high for the game. 
What's a con? You're distracted. I actually attended one of these senior nights back in the 1980s. The University of Dayton Flyers was taking on Notre Dame. And I've never seen a crowd so so sky high, a team so sky high, blinking we were down 0-8 to eight after the first TV timeout. Okay, but it, it, that's one game. I mean, when you handicap these games, the, you've seen hundreds and hundreds of senior nights. You think in general it's a net neutral? I think if you're an underdog, it's a net positive. If you're a big favorite, it's a net negative. Okay, now let's break now. See, boy, people are like, why Why does he keep at it with Fez? It seems like a lost cause. But then six, seven, eight questions <laughs> in, we get something fresh. Now explain that. That's fascinating. Explain why with an underdog or why with the favor? Because if I'm a 15-point favorite, this is a celebratory night. It's like mm. getting my championship ring. It is a reward game for everybody. But if I'm an underdog, this is a circle the wagons. This is a must-win situation. Okay. So, well, not must-win, but it's a the energy is being put towards winning rather than celebrating. You agree with that generally? Oh, great point. Fully agree with that. All right. So 15-point faith celebrate. Dog equals energy is a focus. All right, so wow, think about just one concept that happens once with each team. How many, how much do they care because of the number of seniors? How much tradition is there in a program? Brad's interesting point about, um, I think it was yours, there was so much good back and forth about the idea that you might be forced to play, um, or not forced to play, but be inclined to play seniors last year, guys that aren't really supposed to be on the court. That's you look at the first half the idea that in general it leads to motivation Essler's idea a lot of top it just shows you this is one of those you know the old saying in poker is it takes five minutes to learn and a lifetime to master with Hold'em handicapping probably more complex or at least as complex a lot of good stuff there so consider that guys as you're doing your handicapping all right well listen this is we are now at the most actionable time of the podcast Let's look at, speaking of poker, let's look at the biggest games in the next couple of days. First, we're going to start with the Saturday games, um, and then one Wednesday game, and then three best bets, all of them on Wednesday. So if you're listening past Wednesday, you've got one more game to consider here, and it's Saturday's Kansas-Texas Tech. Brad, we've talked about Kansas a lot this week. We haven't talked anything about Tech. Also, what do you project the line to be? Give us a early preview. Yeah, Texas Tech's actually going to be favored here, provided their star player, Keenan Evans, is going to be healthy. He injured his toe against uh, uh, over the weekend against Baylor on Saturday in the first half. Questionable for the Tuesday, for the Wednesday night game that we're going to be talking about here in a bit. As long as he's healthy, Texas Tech will be favored. Texas Tech beat Kansas on Kansas' home floor. And why do I bring that up? Well, one, one of your guys here, by, we'll call him George. Gave me this great stat. He's got inside info to we'll the call, Kansas. We'll call him George because his name's George. Yes. I mean, if you're going to yeah. say we're yeah. going to call him something, like yeah. say, like call him Slim or call yeah. him Hair Gel. <laughs> but no, it's it's. Let's call yeah. him by his name. Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, he's got great insight of the Kansas program. A stat he gave me is Bill Self has never lost two games in the regular season to the same opponent. So anytime Bill Self in Kansas has had revenge, they lost the first of two meetings in Big Twelve play. They have revenged that spot all 17 times, and this is one case here where they're avenging an earlier loss. I'm going to lean for that reason alone, a 17-0 trend in my favor because Kansas is going to be a dog here. Give me the Jayhawks plus the four. Yeah, I heard that trend from, let's call him Fred. 
But <laughs> oh wait, it's let's go on tour. Is but it struck me, and it might be worth checking out and putting on your Twitter if you can find it at Brad Power Seven. Is how many of those were on the road? How many of those revenge games? Because you would guess a majority of the first games they lose would have been on the road. Revenge at home, which still matters, right? But but winning on the road is even more difficult that second time. You think that's one your database can find for us? Absolutely. All right, so put that out on Twitter. I will, definitely. Right. Can I say why I don't like Kansas, though? Why it's only a lean go, on Kansas? Go ahead. don't like Kansas because the misleading. We already talked about earlier in the podcast against West Virginia. Very misleading final there. Probably should have lost the game. And Kansas off one of their best performances of the season against Oklahoma. They're 16 out of 29 from three-point range in a 30-point win over the Sooners. Okay, good stuff there. Now we're going to do Wednesday's biggest game. We don't have a best bet on, then best bets. We're out of here like in six minutes. And this is Wednesday, Duke, Louisville, big game. And I'm also interested when you preview this, Brad Powers, is Louisville and their uh, court case or whatever you want to say, they're getting stripped of those wins, stripped of the title. How does that affect this game? Well, it shouldn't because you're talking about a past coach and Rick Pitino and past players. None of these players are still on the same team. But here's what I've seen from Louisville this year. They had a bunch of distractions before the season. Didn't handle all of it well early. This is the team that looked distracted at the start of the season. They're 3-7 and seven against the number their first 10 games. Then all of a sudden, they started playing like a top 15 team. And a lot of people had them as a number three or four seed in the tournament. What I've seen here coming up lately, and this has been the last couple of weeks that when is the NCAA going to announce this? And it's been hovering around them. Here's a team that's been favored in six of their last eight games, Louisville, and they're three and five straight up. So they have been handling it here recently. They completely no-showed in their biggest home game of the season against North Carolina on Saturday. And Duke, surprisingly, without Marvin Bagley, one of the best players in the country, 3-0 and straight up, 3-0 and against the spread. That gives me a lot of confidence when he comes back. This team uh, is fully ready to make a March run. I'm going to lean with Duke laying the 12. Is he definitely back? Questionable for this game. But again, I you know I, the, the line's going to move up to 14, but I'm not sure it, it specifically matters in this case because they have beaten the market expectations without him by such a hefty margin each last three games. Great stuff. Great from Brad Powers. Now, best bet time. Steve Fazek, go. We're going to go to Happy Valley Game 714 Wednesday night. Penn State is hosting Michigan. It's a Penn State team that, with Josh Reeves back in the lineup, has been absolutely exceeding expectations. They've had two very, very bad spots. Hosted the Buckeyes. The Buckeyes had revenge. Didn't matter. Penn State beat them by 20-plus. Then they went to Purdue. Purdue on a three-game losing streak, and it was tooth and nails for Purdue to win that game at home. This Penn State team is playing as well as anyone in the Big Ten, and we got Michigan coming off an emotional um, all-in effort against the Buckeyes on Saturday where they won convincingly. Now they got to go to Happy Valley. I don't think Michigan's any better than Penn State. It's a great spot for Penn State. I'll lay three or less with the Nittany Lions. Blue Horseshoe loves Anacott Steel. Good stuff from Steve Fezzik there. Good stuff. You know, this could be a coincidence, or maybe not. Now it's time for Dave Esler's best bet free, and then we'll get Brad. My free pick for Wednesday is the Penn State Nittany Lions over the Michigan Wolverines. 
That line currently sits at uh, three and a half at bet online. There's a couple of reasons I love Penn State here. Number one, uh, it is their last home game, period, end. And they've won six of eight. Uh, they beat your Buckeyes a couple of times. They, they've uh, lost only at Michigan State, not that badly. And, and obviously they lost at a sort of a shorthanded Purdue the other night. But, you know, I think that was almost a win for them going in there and not getting destroyed. And then you got Michigan coming in that's comfortably a probably a five or six seed, whereas Penn State's still a, a pseudo bubble team. They got a shot. Uh, they really need to win this game. You know, in Michigan, now it's on the road. It's a conference game. You know, do they let down after beating Ohio State Saturday? Now that, you know, I, I think they do. Uh, and Penn State does enough things really well that they could, that, that they, they ought to be able to win this game regardless of the situation. They got a better defense. They're a better free throw shooting team. Uh, so my free pick is Penn State over Michigan. First time on the basketball dream preview, we have a double best bet. Fez, anything about what Dave said that you particularly agree with? Anything you want to augment there with his analysis? Well, I love that he put in the motivation of Penn State being a bubble team, and it's too early for people to think about that in terms of must-win games with the Big Ten. This is the last week of the regular season. Remember, they got their conference tourney early, so people aren't thinking in terms of putting that into their handicap yet, but it is a factor in the Big Ten. First double best bet ever for basketball, Penn State. This is the game that people are going to talk about for years to come. Well, we'll see about that. If it wins, <laughs> if it wins, maybe. And I don't think the line's going to get out of hand here because there's plenty of people that like to bet on Michigan. They're a public team, so I don't see this line inflating upward above three. All right, batting third, batting last, Brad Powers. We're going game number 716. We're taking Oklahoma State plus the three and a half against Texas Tech. I think we got a bit of a free roll here. Texas Tech, best player. Keenan Evans, one of the best players in the country is questionable here for Texas Tech. I hope he plays because he's dealing with a toe injury. And we go back to the Shaq days. You know, toe injury doesn't sound that, that significant, but when you're a shooter and you're handling the ball like Keenan Ev- Evans is, I got to think he's less than 100% whether he, 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 shooter. <laughs> if he plays here. And Oklahoma State, they look terrible, their stats and that, but here's one team that even though they have a losing record in Big 12 play, one of the worst teams, they have not given up on this season. They're not going to be afraid of a, a top six Texas Tech team. Why? They've gone on the road and won outright against West Virginia. They've gone on the road and won outright against Kansas. I think a motivated Oklahoma State team against a kind of banged up Texas Tech team. Give me the home underdog, Oklahoma State plus three and a half. Wow. I tell you, Brad on that mic, we got him a new mic. He sounds sounds. Uh, st- I don't know if Stern's the word. He sounds, uh, mm, what's the right word? Confident. Confident. Speaking from the sternum, baby. Brad Powers. I'm RJ Bell. Steve Fezzik. By the way, Brad and Fez do videos during the basketball season. Great stuff. You can check on YouTube, right? Just search for pregame TV. All one word. Pregame TV. Or just up at pregame.com. And as we said, don't bet on it on Friday. And next week, guys, next week, a new Featured interview, surprise guest. You're going to be shocked if you're a wrestling fan. That little tease there. It's going to be a good one in my featured interviews. Remember, subscribe. Just search for RJ Bell. Subscribe and you get every podcast, expected or unexpected, immediately delivered right to your phone. 
Talk to you there. Thanks for listening to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday, NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.